Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 305. Unique would be a mild way to put it, but we did have a unique Yom Tif. And I hope in these extraordinary and unnatural circumstances, we used it to the fullest. God put us in a particular challenging situation. Everyone knows their own story. Some of us completely alone, some of us with immediate family, not being able to go to shul. I mean, so much has changed for everybody on earth, but especially for the Jewish people, both here in Israel and everywhere. Probably unprecedented in history to that extent. And yet, this is our mission. This is where God wants us to be. So this man Chedusenu, this time of our freedom, to experience freedom, perhaps in a new and unprecedented way as well, appreciating it in new ways, having to dig deeper and discover dimensions of our neshama, of our soul, that we perhaps have never experienced before. So we're now literally coming from the days of Pesach and um, entering to the end of the month of Nisan, the month of miracles and miracles, double miracles, Nisei Nisim, a month of Geula, that's meant to be the month that in this month we were redeemed from Egypt, and we will be redeemed in the final Geula, and so many other powerful opportunities and energy of this month. And yet, we have to now find ways to translate that into the challenges of these trying times. So let me begin the program. This special program, a post-Pesach edition, is dedicated in honor of Arnel Yob and Leah, and in honor of all the great Yidden helping their brethren during these tough times. And yes, people literally being Moisar Nefesh, putting themselves at risk, both physically and emotionally, to help others. Abishta should send everybody a complete and speedy recovery and a full shleim of a krevo to everyone who needs it. And protect everyone else, all Jews, wherever they may be, all people, the entire world. And this Magefer should already come to an end. And we should use this situation that we're in to demonstrate how not only have we not retreated, not only are we not just playing defense, but we go on the offense. And I say this again and again. It's not just our mission, it's also good for your health. The more you dedicate yourself to serving others, the more you will build and bolster your own immunity and your own strength. Above all, that's what our calling is right now, each in our own particular way. To say I've been swamped with questions would be an understatement. Questions of all sorts, all of course relating to the situation we're in. Some other topics as well. But due to the crisis and due to the fact that this is what's on our minds, and so many of us are suffering in one way or another, this has to be the priority. Teira is Meloshin Heira. Teira is a, from the word directive, guidance. Chesidus is all about applying Chesidus to life. And what is life undergoing right now? This tremendous upheaval and disruption, externally and internally. And every day that passes, the challenges are greater because our entire all our security blankets, our entire systems 
are right now not at pause. So we can see it either as a cataclysm that paralyzes us or compels us to go deeper into our own souls, are connecting more with our loved ones, recognizing and fighting for our values and doing whatever we can to maintain, and only maintain, but to thrive spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically. And that's the purpose of Torah in general, v'chai behem, we should live by them. Not just we shouldn't die by them, God forbid. That's why Pekuach Nefesh, danger to life, is more powerful than any other mitzvah. That's why it, it trumps everything else, except the three Avedis, which is not relevant to our discussion now. But also v'chai behem in the sense that it adds vitality. It's mentiris chayim. It's a life, terror of life, to give us life and sustenance. And today we see it more than ever, how spiritual inner sustenance is so vital for peace of mind, for hope, for courage, that the connections we have to our eternal and immortal values actually empower us in these times when our mortal lives, meaning all our material systems, have been demonstrated and been proven and been revealed to be really naked, to really be very weak, if, if at all. The fact that our schedules, our structures, our institutions are all really closed down. So let's talk about this period. We're going from Pesach, as I said, and it's the, going into the end of the month of Nisan. This week, a special days, we have the 28th of Nisan. We'll talk about that. In the order of the weeks, we are in the Parsha of Ksazriya Mitzeda. Next Shabbos will be the Shchidish Iyer. And, um, and it's all still in the month of Nisan when we don't say Tachna because most of the month is holidays. Not saying Tachna, as the Rebbe explains, it means not that we're lacking it, it means that the month, this holiday, this rich holiday month, rich with holiday of, of Pesach and the beginning of the month, the Nisim that we said the, about the chapters, about the dedications brought by the leaders in the temple, gives us the strength and accomplishes that which Tachnon would usually accomplish. Now Tachnon talks about negative things. It talks about confession on sins, iniquities, our weaknesses. The fact that we're not saying it means that we're able to fill, fill that need by not having to focus on the negative, by bringing more light in, and the light automatically dispels the darkness, something we're so in need of, especially now. So let's begin in that order. We'll begin with the Chavches Nisan, since it's in the order of... Um, 28th of Nisan is known by all of us, Chassidim of the Rebbe, that 29 years ago, in the year Tavshin Aleph, 1991, the Rebbe spoke the dramatic talk that he gave, essentially saying, I have done everything I can, and I give it over to you. Do everything you can to bring the Geula Mashiach. And if there'd be ten of you that would cry, and cry with anemis, with the, that Ad Mosei, how much more do we have to wait? For the Geula, the Geula would certainly come. And the Rebbe spoke many words then, including that the Ike, the, main, the primary Golas is the Golas Primi inside here. Because we have many freedoms today. But the complacency, the apathy, that's a very deep type of goal. And then at the end of the Sikha, the Rebbe said, and may there be one, two, or three of you that will put your heads together, I'm paraphrasing, to discuss what to do and how to do. 
and should be besimcha v'tuv levav. That's 29 years ago. Many of us are aware that this was, I was echoing, but definitely the similar theme to what the Rebbe spoke about Purim four years earlier, which, we, which would be 33 years ago, Purim Tov Shemem Zayim, 1987. Similar idea. Our responsibility. Now, we are speculating a bit, but the fact of the matter is, what has happened in the, the interim from 29 years ago? Well, a few years after that, this year afterwards, actually 11 months to the day when the Rebbe spoke that talk, Chav Ches, the 28th of Nisan, was Chav Zayin Adr. 11 months to the day when the Rebbe suffered a stroke, which till this day has left him not speaking. We have not heard his words since then. Two years later was Gimel Tammuz, the passing of the Rebbe. So tragically, the Rebbe's words were fulfilled in ways we did not want. And that now, though the Rebbe never leaves his sheep, as it says, Le Yazif Marise, a shepherd never forsakes and never his flock. Yet, on a revealed level, now we have to demonstrate what we're going to do. The Rebbe, in the physical sense, and the revealed sense, is not carrying us on his, on his wings. Spiritual, yes, in a concealed fashion. What are you and I going to do? And now comes 2020, Tov Shin Pei, 70 years from the Rebbe's leadership. The beginning of 30 years from when the Rebbe said that, that um, unprecedented talk. So you cannot help if you're a chassid to think, one second, so what's happened in 29 years? Was it business as usual? Was everything just going smooth and coasting along? Jews from all over, especially Chassidim, Shluchim, were Mesa Nefesh and continue to be dedicated their entire lives to spread Yiddishkeit, to reach every Jew, every they can, to spread Tzedek and Yeshir, justice, virtue. And yet, Geula didn't come yet. So now suddenly, almost 30th, beginning of the 30th year, close to the 30th year from that talk, a unbelievable wake-up call if it were not for the pain and the loss and the death and the anguish and all the crisis we're going through, the material world has been proven, as I mentioned, to be negligible, to be basically unreliable. And yet we survive. And not just we survive, we dig deeper and we see deeper levels of kindness and giving and, giving and love and courage being demonstrated all the time. So take away the painful part of it and... You start wondering, can we be woken up without pain? It seems pretty difficult to do. Is that now, yes, what are you going to do? Do whatever you can. What are we going to do? So I look at this situation right now, as I was trained. I just was reading over Yontif, over the holiday, a from the Rebbe Rashab, Friedrich Rebbe cites it in Tovshin Gimel, I believe, in the Pesach Sichas. That he said, why did I remind myself of something that happened? Shvishal Pesach, time of my, the last year of the Tzemach Tzedeks, the last Pesach of the Tzemach Tzedek in this world. So he says, Hashgach pratis in Ishtokin Farvos. On divine providence, there's no Farvos. Why? There's Tzalib Vos. Toward what end? Or to, to rephrase it, what are you going to do about it? In other words, Hashgach pratis, why certain things happen? We don't know. That's God's mysterious choreography and plan. But Salibvos, toward what end? That's what we need to ask. What do we take from this? 
The first thing is, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Are we going to just be paralyzed and allow ourselves to succumb to the fears, the unknowns, and all that's coming along in this pandemic situation, these pandemic times? Or are we going to demonstrate what we were created for? To rise to the occasion, to show our children and our families and, our, and everyone that we are not lying down. We will become stronger and greater and push toward bringing more goodness in this world, more kindness. And yes, our prayers for those that are in need, that the coronavirus we may not be able to control. Hopefully the medical authorities and uh, God will help that they can ultimately contain it and then eradicate it. But we have complete control over how you're going to live us. Toward what end? What are you going to do? And what are we going to do? We're going to rise up and demonstrate the power of the human spirit that when, when people will look back at 2020, we did not go down. We did not fail. We did not fall. We did not stumble. Yes, it was challenging. There are people right now grieving for lost family members, and we grieve with them. It's a loss for everyone. There are people who are struggling for their lives. Yes, we're aware of that. There's no denial here. But we need to forge ahead. Our spirits cannot be vanquished by this. Stronger than ever. What are you going to do? Number two, what did the Rebbe say? What are you going to do to bring the Geula? The Geula is not just some distant, exotic concept. Geula means redemption from everything. From illness, physical illness, spiritual illness, from dissonance, from disconnections, from disalignments. That's why when you do a mitzvah, it's a connection. Mitzvah from the word connection. You're connecting to a source of life. God forbid when a person is ever an avera, a transgression. Avera is from the word displacement. Havara. We move the way. We need to align ourselves. And yes, total alignment with the divine. Total alignment with our purpose. Total alignment between body and soul creates health. Not just spiritual health, but physical health, emotional health. That is why when Mashiach comes, it says all all toxins, all impurities will be removed. We will need God to help do that. But we can prepare the way by getting rid of the toxins as much as we can spiritually and emotionally. What's a toxin? Baseless hatred. Divisiveness. Speaking negatively about each other. Being selfish. What is Healing, what is healthy? Love, connection, recognizing we're all part of one larger reality. Living up to your mission for which you were charged in this world. That everything in this physical world is for a deeper spiritual purpose. Now we can easily do that because the physical world is, the, is an end in itself has clearly been paused. So what is it for? That everything physical in our lives, including our jobs, including whatever it is that we're involved in, our food and our homes and so on, for higher purpose. Look at another interesting thing. And I'll talk about this in some in a dedicated class, but just one key point. The home was always the center of the universe. For children, a home is always the center of the universe. It's only in the mid in the mid uh, in the 16th, 17th century that the concept of a career was born. Once upon a time, we worked. Men worked. Why men? Because they were stronger, so they were able to make more money. They can carry more, more wood. And, uh, and, carry, and chop more wood and carry more water or whatever things were necessary, farm work and agricultural work. But the focus was all as a means 
to have money to take care of your family, to educate your family, to bring them up with higher values. But then the career entered. The career became a new hub, a new center. And people going to work said, you know what? It's more comfortable being here. We created social clubs. We created a whole, a whole society around it. At some point, the women rose up and said, one second. Our partnership was once that we were together at home and everything else was just a means. You're having fun out there? We also want to have fun. Equal rights. And, and they were right. But we forgot one thing. The center of life is your home. It's your love. It's your children. It's your family. It's what you perpetuate. It's your values. Now suddenly everyone's turning back to it, but we're not used to it. Because it's not something we... It's, a, it's something that we have almost eliminated in our lives. How many of us are dependent on what restaurant you're going out that night? Or what performing arts? Or what club? Or what show? Or what sports? And so on. So the opportunity is to turn inward... And the homes become the center again. Not seen as a burden, seen as something the way it was always meant to be. I hope that's never forgotten. We want the, the tumor, the toxins to be eradicated, but not that a deeper awareness. So this is what we are standing now, this is a lesson. We're coming to 28th of Nisan, 29th, beginning of 30 years, 30 years, it's a, it's a milestone. 70 years from the Rebbe's leadership. 80 years from when the Friedrich Rebbe came to America, 100 years from when the Rebbe Rashab's Histalkus Yotzeit and the Friedrich Rebbe assuming leadership. So many, many milestones. And all leading toward what? The purpose of why we're here. To use our minds and our hearts and bring it and actualize it into a spiritual revolution of transforming ourselves, our, our close ones, our communities, and by extension, the entire world. And now we have the opportunity to do so. So yes, you could say 28th of Nissan, we have to be worried about quarantining and so on. Obviously, we need to be prudent and careful with everything that we're being told. But that doesn't mean you cannot create a spiritual revolution, especially with technology today. So that's the 28th Nissan connection. Let's move post-Pesach. Remember, Pesach, of course, rep- is, represents the beginning of redemption, the first redemption. The redemption from what? From Mitzrayim. What's Mitzrayim? Mitzrayim is all forms of constraints, of illnesses. Yes, Mitzrayim is, means constraints, limitations, inhibitions, fears. But it also means anything that limits and constrains us. It could be physically, it could be emotionally, it could be psychologically. Yetzias Mitzrayim, that we just celebrated, the exodus, is not just a physical exodus from a land called Egypt 3,332 years ago, but it's an exodus that is perpetual. That's why we say that if we were not redeemed then, we would still be there. Because it's a psychological state. Which a deeper displacement is, than physical is a psychological one. You can feel free but in the, and not be under physical slave labor, but if psychologically and emotionally you're fearful, you're still in exile. You're still trapped. So post-Pesach, we come away with eight days, seven days in Israel, eight days everywhere else of this power of redemption on every possible level. And therefore, we march from that into what? Into the month of Ir. That's the next month. The month of Ir will begin next Shabbos. Rosh Chodesh Ir. Ir says in the books, in the holy books, you tell me, think about it for a moment. It's an acronym. Aleph Yud Yud Resh. Ani Hashem Refecha. 
Aleph is Ani, the Yud, one Yud, or you use two Yuds, is the name of Hashem, you sometimes written as two Yuds, but it's the name of God. Refecha, I'm your healer. Healer. That's the acronym of Ayir. What's the connection? So let's look into the verse. In the Torah, in the book of Exodus, the chapter of Beshalach, Tezvav Chovav, 1526. So what does it say there? All the illness that I placed on Egypt, the Mitzrayim, on constraints, I will not place upon you. Because I, God, am your healer. Now there are different interpretations of what this verse means. Rashi brings two, the Talmud and Sanhedrin, Milchil to the Medrash. But some places it explains, and the Rebbe always emphasizes, says, It doesn't say you will be sick, God forbid, and ill, and I will heal you, which there are psukim like that, I will remove an illness. Here it says, I won't place it upon. That which I placed in the place of constraints and limitations and fears and all that Mitzrayim represents, I will not place upon you. Why? Because I, God, are your Yerifecha, not human healers. Yes, in the same chapter, it also talks about God giving permission for humans to heal, and that's why we have doctors, physicians, medicine, pharmace- pharmaceuticals, and so on. Because God gave his power. He divested part of his power and gave it to the human race, into nature. But it's always God is the healer. If any good doctor will tell you, the immune, we don't create the immune system. We don't create healing. We per- we facilitate it. We can, per, we can um, expedite it. We get rid of the blocks that don't allow the natural healing process. Human bodies build antibodies. Human beings build antibodies to any type of infection. Sometimes you need, you need, you need to bolster it. You need to get rid of that. The infection doesn't overwhelm the system. That the immune system should be balanced as well and not become overactive. So there's a whole balance here. But Ani Hashem Ir is the month of healing. So we go from Mitzrayim, the Machle Mitzrayim, we're freed from Mitzrayim, we're told, you won't have it. Because Ani Hashem because Ir is coming. Now, every year, this is true every year, but this year it takes on a whole new meaning as we're dealing with these issues. So this is also a blessing and strength given to us, that we should not only not be healed, we should initially not, not have any problem. Now again, why God did this? If he's the healer, this is God's mysterious plans. But what salibvas, what are we supposed to take from this? We strengthen our connection. Like the verse, the beginning of the verse says, why does it say that? Because you will follow my guidelines. You will align yourself with the source of life. If your machine is not aligned with with the source of its energy source, it's a breeding ground for problems. So connection to our source of life, that's what brings the healing, or that brings that we shouldn't even have the illness in the first place. And even if we do, as if it never happened. It's also Pasha Sazirim Etzedah. Think about that now. Sazirim Etzedah are two chapters. Most years they're read together. In a leap year they're not read together, but they're separated in, in some years. But Sazim Mitzayda, as the Rebbe points out, seems to have two different meanings altogether. Opposites, actually. Sazriya means to give birth to. Kisazriya, Isha, Isha Kisazriya, Vyalda Zachar. 
from the word zriya, which is to to, um, to sprout, to blossom, to give birth. And Mitzayda means a leper. It's the ultimate illness. It's actually a spiritual illness, as the Rambam, Maimonides, and others explain. How do you uh, bring them together? Here is about birth, Sazriya giving birth. And here is Mitzayda, the exact opposite. So the Rebbe explains that birth, all new births, especially the birth of Geula, because the birth of Geula, Vyal de Zohar, as the commentaries explain, goes on that there'll be 10 songs that were sung in history. All of them are Loshan Ekev in the, neg- in the female. And Loshan Zohar will be Shir Loshan Zohar will be sung Loshan Lover. So Vyal de Zohar goes on, Isha Kisazriya, Isha referring to Knesset Yisrael, to the Jewish people, that when they will initiate through Asusa de Latata, through an awakening from below, Sazria, they will sow. What will happen will be a birth of the greatest revelations, the Geula itself. That always comes with birth pains. Mitzedah is the birth pains. Mashiach is referred to as a Mitzedah. Why? Because Mashiach, the ultimate redemption, has to transform every form of illness, every nega, every disease. So he doesn't just come in, oh, here's Mashiach coming from riding high. He's part of and transforms the illness. It's like the antibodies that are built from the illness. That the wood from the tree is necessary to cut down the tree. The essence of all healing. The ultimate healing. That's what Mashiach and Gul is about. So Mitzayda, though it has a negative side to it, it trans- when transformed, it becomes the greatest. In the words of the Sefer Yitzhida. The Sefer Yitzhida, one of the earliest, if not the earliest Kabbalistic work, says, Ein lamata menega. Nothing is lower than disease, than nega, than the illness. And ein lamayla and there's nothing greater than pleasure. Nega and oinig are the same three letters. Just reverse them. Nega is the worst illness. Oinig is the greatest pleasure. So Nega is the lowest of the low. Oinig is keser, atik, primius atik, the ultimate divine essential pleasure. The Nesav HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the pleasure, the desire God have to create existence. But what existence? Tachtainim. The pleasure is not in the higher world where everything is healthy and holy. And one, a world of fragmentation, a hostile world. A world that can defy its own divine source. A world that can, yes, become ill and unhealthy. A toxic world. When you transform that, the nega, it becomes enig. So Sazia and actually become two sides of one coin. Yet again, a lesson for our times. So let's review now a bunch of questions. I hope I can address them all, but I want to first say, let's do a little housekeeping here. I want to make sure people don't think we forgot. Right before this whole coronavirus pandemic broke loose, we were just ending our annual, sixth annual My Life Chassidah Supplied Essay Contest. Many of you have submitted essays, worked hard at it, and we appreciate it and we've not forgotten. But due to the situation, literally right before Pesach was when we were going to make the announcement usually, so for all, under all the duress that we're all under, we determined that against our w- w- plans and wishes, that best to push it off. 
So you'll hear more news of when we're going to announce it, but I wanted to make sure that we have not forgotten it. And Chassidus, Torah in general, Chassidus particularly, brings healing to the world. So all these essays are very valuable and precious, but we have to also have the timing, so I hope you understand. So this is an answer to some of the questions that people have asked um, about the essay. So you'll be hearing more. We'll be sending out a letter to everyone, and hopefully we'll be able to create some schedule, even though God is running the schedule of the world now, including ours. Another technical thing is, in the last few weeks, some of you may have noticed, we've been doing a, a full array of far many more programs due to the crisis. All types of programs. Zoom classes for students, for teachers, for educators, for people with different backgrounds and different uh, podcasts, Facebook, the Daily Spiritual Antidote, which I hope you've subscribed to. If you haven't, check it out. Every day, a three-minute video of bolstering and boosting our emotional and spiritual lives and immunity systems. Just go to, to see where all these materials are, go to two places, MeaningfulLife.com slash Corona, and you'll see everyday new materials being added there. On ChassidahSupply.com, right in the homepage, you'll see section as well. So someone asked the question, how do I know when you will do a live Zoom class? Actually, I got the, well, four or five questions. How do we get the schedules? You go there, there's a calendar, all every, every event that's planned in the next near future, or whenever it's planned, it will be posted there. And then once it's recorded or once it's broadcast, you can find links to it. And it really covering many different areas, again, for different audiences. So check it out. Now, it's not because we have nothing to do. It's precisely, I'm trying to live up to what I'm saying here. You know, once in a while, you have to practice what you preach. And that is <clears throat> that this is our time. Not now when. What more of a crisis do we need? What more of a wake-up call do we need? What more of a shake-up and disruption do we need? So these programs are all part, and I hope that they're not just offer solace and comfort and strength and guidance and direction, but also that you learn from it. Do what you can do. Everybody can initiate. Just use your head a little. And if you feel you can't initiate a thought or idea, pass on something that comes your way. The spiritual antidote, for example, is an excellent three minutes. doesn't take more than that to listen to it. And I'm hearing the words and I, 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 unbelievable encouragement. You pass it on. People are desperate today. Everyone is receptive, hungry, waiting for some type of kind words, something that will give me a little emotional strength amidst, amidst this whole chaos. So in addition to what we're doing, we hope that this also inspires. In addition to, I'm sure, many things that each of you are doing on your own, and you don't need our inspiration, but look, we're in it together. and get inspired by you. Hopefully you get inspired by me. And we can all ultimately stand up to this coronavirus, the COVID-19, and show that, no, we will not cower back and cower in fear. We're not intimidated by you. We will be careful and do whatever we have to do. But psychologically, emotionally, we will stand up, rise like the human spirit, and show history that we did not go down quietly. We actually didn't go down at all. We rose and became greater people for it. Okay. So with that, let's go to a few questions. Um, well, there's more, again, a few. Those that I don't cover today, I will, Mr. Hashem, please God, cover next week. And uh, in addition to other opportunities that I'll be using, the Daily Spiritual Antidote and other 
other programs that we will be uh, unleashing, that's maybe a good word, unleashing in the close, uh, in the near future. Antivirus, think of them as antiviral spiritual programming. Okay, so someone asked the question, since we're talking about ear, are there any parallels between our current corona plague and the plague that struck Rabbi Akiva's students? And again, as you know, this program, we try to address everything without censorship, without filtering, because I believe we should have a platform, especially today, that people can just really express themselves. So it's not an easy question for me to read, but I still read it. But first, a little background. We know in the month of year, despite of all the power that it has, and we count every day the Omer, we know it's also a time we don't make simchas, and we don't listen to music. The different customs, but most, I custom that I grew up is all the way till Shavuos, or to the Shchoyder Sivan. Again, different customs. What's the reason given for that? Like, what would be the reason? The reason is because in the time of Rabbi Akiva, 24,000 of his students died in a plague. Yeah, in a Magefa. Due to the fact that they did not demonstrate honor to each other. They basically disrespected each other. The question is asked, how is that possible? Rabbi Akiva, the great sage, Kula Aliba the Rabbi Akiva, like the basis of all of the Talmud. And Rabbi Akiva taught what was his most famous teaching. The verse in Gedoshim in, in, in Chumash. Love your fellow as yourself. This is a klal godl, not just a klal, not just a, a, a principle. A, a great principle, a powerful principle. In Hillel's words in the Gemara and Shabbos, Zui kula, don't do unto others that you don't want done to yourself. This is the entire Torah, the rest is commentary. His own students forgot that most important lesson. So Chassidus explains, the Rebbe elaborates, especially in his talks in Lagba Imer, which is, I take, that's when the Gzeira, the Magefa stopped, the epidemic stopped, that that was one of the reasons it's a day of Simcha, in addition to being the yard site of the Rosh Shimon Bayechoy, who was one of the students that remained after the epidemic, who was also a student of Rabbi Akiva, explaining that it was not due to their weakness, it was due to their strength. They were such powerful scholars, they could not tolerate someone with a different opinion. So it wasn't coming because of, of uh, pettiness. It was coming, they were so consumed with their own approach to things, they could not tolerate another. But that, in the language of Chassidus, is called Eiruz de Tayu. That's energies of the chaotic world of Tayu that ultimately cause the shattering of the containers. The intolerance. So intolerance can come from pettiness and from nonsense. It could also come sometimes from greatness. Two great people lacking some the proper humility can also have a situation where I am so convinced that I know what God wants. I'm so convinced I know what the Torah wants. I don't accept the other position. And that caused that Magaifa. Now, I don't want to draw parallels. Let's make that very clear. First of all, we don't know God's mysterious ways. To start saying this happened because of, because of disrespect, there may be disrespect, but we don't think in those terms. If God tells us that's the reason, we know by Rabbi Kiva that was the reason. If you want to learn a personal lesson for yourself to be more loving and less judgmental and less arrogant, by all means. But to make a statement that this is why it's happening, no. I am not be the one that makes such a statement. Not, uh, not uh, overtly and not covertly. In addition, this Magaifa began before Pesach. 
Yet, obviously, wise people look at parallels. So the parallel, I would say, is not the farvos, but solibvos. Farvos, I don't know. Why this is happening now, we have no clue. But solibvos, obviously, it has to bring more love, more sensitivity, more empathy, maybe things we may have forgotten in the whole rush hour of the marketplace, of the stock market. I mean that also metaphorically. The whole merring around and roller coaster of our lives. All that, a wake-up call. Absolutely. But to say that people are dying because of that, that absolutely, I, want to, I don't want to go there. So the parallel is as far as lessons you want to learn. We learn lessons. We learn always lessons. Divisiveness is unfortunately a cause for problems. Divisiveness, not just spiritually and psychologically, also physically. Because when an organism is divisive, when the body fights against each other or the different parts of our organism are not aligned with each other, what, what does that lead to? Illness. Mitzrayim, as I said. Constraint. Misal- disalignment. Dissonance. So, of course, the first step, besides fighting the illness physically and doing whatever we can to protect ourselves and others, is to create unity. Unity makes the organism, which is the human race, is one large organism. So, of course, if every part of the organism respects the other and loves the other, and appreciates and understands we all complement each other, of course that's a, a formula for healing. Okay. Completely unrelated because this past Shabbos was a Shabbos, yesterday was a Shabbos after Pesach. So there's a, there's a minig, a custom, and I didn't want to wait till next year since I saw this question came in from a few people. They call it the Shlisl Chala. What is the significance of baking a Shlisl Chala? Shlisl means in, Jew, in Yiddish, key. A chala either shaped like a key or actual key inside of it. Some have the custom to do so. What are the oranges and sources for doing it? So it's actually shrouded in, uh, not clearly, clearly. There are svarim, taimim and hagim, nitoi gavriel, sefer hatoidah, minig yisrael teda, and others that gather the custom and they give different reasons. Most of them are connected to being a zgula, an opportunity to open up the doors of Parnosa, because Pesach, Rosh Hashanah is the year, it begins the year that judges the entire life and death and so on. Pesach is very much connected to grain and to, um, to uh, the, the sustenance. So they say this shlisla key to livelihood, to parnasa. Some say a key to healing. Others actually, there are people who say this custom is not based on Jewish sources and they negate it. I don't have a conclusive statement. I know growing up in Chabad by the Rebbe, we didn't hear about it. I don't think the Rebbe ever discussed it. But um, to, say, to say, I'm not going to come out against it, because based on why, there, are, there is such a custom, and a custom that's especially accepted by many Jews can have some value. So I would apply it to, to what the Rebbe Rashab said, that he may not like people saying Pshat and Tanya, but if it adds to Yerushamayim, by all means. So if it adds in fearing God, and it adds in us becoming more responsible human beings, and it does open up brachas, because we celebrate Shabbos in a deeper way, then there's no reason we should be against it. I'm again not going to come to a conclusion I didn't do enough research to say that this is based on complete nonsense. Uh, some people actually say. I will say since enough Jews and enough holy Jews did do it, encouraged their Rebetzins to do it and so on, I would definitely not go with that approach, but rather say, yes, that it has some value. And essentially it's about a key to nafteach, to parnasa, to livelihood, and by extension also to health 
And in a time like this, why not? I mean, I can't see. Now it's already after Shabbos, so it's not relevant because if this was done, it would have been done Friday before Shabbos when the challah is baked. But since the question came in, I decided to address it. Another person writes, again, I got a few questions about this. With the tragic passing of Rabbi Label Groner, the longtime secretary of the Rebbe, can you please tell a story or stories about Rabbi Groner to honor his memory? Thank you. Another person writes, please share some of your experiences and memories of Rabbi Label Groner, the Rebbe's longtime secretary. So yes, it's a sad, every death is sad, but this one particularly struck me and many of us because he was such so close. Whenever you saw Label Groner, you knew the Rebbe was not far behind. He would come in first. He was always there right at the side of the Rebbe. Now back in the, when he was already a student in the late 40s is when he began to assist the Rebbe in publishing, reviewing, editing, being Magia, the, the proofs and so on. And then as the Rebbe assumed leadership in 1950, he became that longtime aide. Rabbi Chadakov, for the record, was like the chief of staff. He was the more of the dignitary, the diplomat, but Rabbi Groner was the one day in, day out. My memories are that Rabbi Groner would spend hours in the Rebbe's room. And I'm not negating the role of anybody else, but nothing came close. Nobody. He was the man. Hours, especially in the later years. But he was the one that brought in the answers to the Rebbe, took out uh, questions to the Rebbe, took out answers. And the Yechidis, later, in the early years, Rabbi Chadikov was involved. But for my life, my experiences, I witnessed, not hearsay, rumors. He was the person that I would say probably most exposed to the Rebbe, heard more than, and saw more than any other person in, the, in, um, in, the, in, in our lifetime. So it's a great tragic tragedy in that sense. I have many stories I've heard from him. I'll just share one or two regarding what we're talking about now. Where uh, the Rebbe, I remember my, my particular relationship with him was <clears throat> professionally, since we would prepare, I would prepare the Rebbe's Fabrengens and Sichas, so I would give it to him, or give it to the secretariat, which meant bring it into Merkis, which was the secretariat of the Rebbe, put it in a box. But he was usually the person that I would give it to, that would then give it to the Rebbe, and then when the Sicha came out, he would call me. And he, of course, was a person who knew how to learn, and he appreciated the Rebbe's approach to things in many ways. So we had, we had interesting interactions. One that uh, I remember was, I prepared, we prepared a Sicha, the Rebbe edited it very extensively in 1981. But the Rebbe also gave a chilek, a few places the Rebbe was very sharp. So I remember he called me in the morning, he says, Simon, come right downstairs. You'll be, you, you, want, you want to and not want to see what was written here. Now, of course, not want to. I, was, I always wanted to see. The Rebbe was sometimes brutal in a good way. And when I came, you know, he pointed out to me how the Rebbe edited something in a very sharp way. So I said to him, so what do you think? He says, this sharpness will bring the best out of you. Every time the Rebbe criticized or in some way edited something that I worked on, he worked on the Sefer Minhagim, he worked on tens of books in Svarim, he says it always brings out the best. I remember that was in my early part of my career. It always remained with me, that lesson. That, that of course, the Rebbe's edits, even when they seem brutal and even they seem very critical, was actually a way of teaching and educating so that's one thing among many, many, many. I can't, I mean, the memories goes on for years and years. You know, and as soon as I heard the news, it was very, as I said, to me it was like this was the extension of the Deir Ashvi, the seventh generation, a person who was so close and side by side. Now, of course, close to the Rebbe doesn't mean you're close in an intimate way, but he was there. Another story I'll say, because the Rebbe Rashab 100 years ago, is the Rebbe Rashab's Istalkus, 
was I remember him telling me once that when the new Kuntras was published, a new booklet, Chassidus, was published, he says the whole day of the Rebbe changed. He would hold the booklet all day, and everything else was like second day. He would answer questions, he would do things, but it was such a passion. And it was so, so refreshing to see the Rebbe, who of course knew the Maimorim, and had seen and read, and a Rebbe himself. But he would walk around. So once he was walking with a Maimor, I think he said, I'm not sure which Maimor it was from the Rebbe Rashab. And he saw the Rebbe's excitement, and the Rebbe says to him, uh, like, you know, nonchalantly, the Rebbe says, On the Rebbe Rashab, Without the Rebbe Rashab, you can't really appreciate Chsidis. So he said, What about the Rebbe's Maimorim? So he said, That's connection. But to understand. But the way, again, it's the passion, the personal connection. Now, there are hundreds and hundreds of stories. I just wanted to honor him, especially in the work I did, directly connected. As I said, he was the, the man in between. Uh, maybe that's not a good word, in between, but he was the person that would carry in and out the, the Rebbe's uh, answers and the Rebbe's edits and so on. And um, it was um, a great honor to be able to obviously be part of that, and he was part of that, uh, let's call it, uh, that um, process, that procession, that uh, assembly line, if you wish. But we'll talk more about it. I'll share some other stories as we go. Next question. I'm not even going to be close to answering most of the questions here. How do we address the guilt of the surviving relatives in this pandemic? Yeah. As you know, uh, a little more than a month ago, Purim time, we were already being, we were hearing in New York the need to be careful, but it wasn't yet strict, and not everyone necessarily took it so seriously. But then when we started seeing actual real casualties, that's when everything changed. So I would say the week after Purim. Now we've seen, God forbid, people who've died due to the virus, young people, older people, and the Ebesh Tashereh Vateyotzer HaMagefer should stop this Magefer. So there's the impact, obviously, the loss of a loved one, that goes without saying, or should be said, is, is, uh, is traumatic. Especially under the circumstances today, you can't do proper goodbyes, many have to do it by phone, some didn't even say goodbye, some feel responsible because maybe I may have given it to that relative that passed away. Of course, it's not definite, but people are thinking. A funeral has to be done in a very unique way now because of the distancing. Tahara, the burial, Shiva, almost all alone. Such a powerful mitzvah, such a powerful tradition where we come together and we support someone and bring comfort. And Chama. That's taken away. So there's a lot of raw nakedness in this pain. Not that death was ever pain, pleasant, but it just exposes it so much more. And then, of course, there's a psychological impact, literally a type of trauma that the survivors are experiencing, especially they were close proximity. So as it is in all matters of Teirach Siddhis, including dealing with the fears, even not so intense as I just described, there's always a balance between being practical and being thinking positively. During the Holocaust, there was 
I mean, it can't even describe the pain, the losses. And yet, as Viktor Frankl, a secular psychiatrist, recognized that those that, rec that, that felt and had a sense of deeper meaning and purpose, remember I said before, not farvas, but solibvas, not why, but solibvas means that life has a meaning and purpose, and not it's meaningless and random and completely arbitrary. It gave them that extra edge. The same thing is now. We have to remember, Hashem lokach, Hashem nosan Hashem lokach, God decides. It's not the virus that decides. It's God that decides. It's not easy to accept, but that's what we have to know. And if you survive it, thank God, that means that Hashem wants you here. And he doesn't want you to become paralyzed and traumatized. So there's a certain surrender that we need to do. Because you'll say, one second, I feel paralyzed, I feel guilty. The way to get beyond all feelings, it's not about you. And I want to say that, and I want to repeat that in a sensitive way. God forbid, I'm not going to tell someone who's right now sitting shiva and crying over a loved one. Oh, it's not about you. Because the Tater says you cry. But even then, you cry, number one, because of the close connection you had, the love you had, the mitzvahs that person would have done, the shlichus came to an end, the physical part of that. So it's completely legitimate crying. It's not because you're indulging yourself. That's why after seven days you're supposed to tuck and not cry. Or not cry with the same. You're not supposed to sit shiva more than seven days. Because as the Rebbe writes in a, in a very famous letter that he wrote in Tovshin Lamed, after a tragic passing of a young woman in this community, to leukemia, age 37, the Rebbe wrote a letter to her daughter, to the family, and saying that when you need to cry, you cry. But then the Ebershter tells you and regulates that it shouldn't become an indulgent experience. And that's where it can cross over and become unhealthy. Because if it becomes totally about you and my pain and my loss, and look what happened to me, so there's a time that you have to recognize that. But then there's a time where you realize, no, you are here. You are a child or a relative to that loved one. And if you get paralyzed, you, can, you then perpetuate the loss even worse. That's why so many people after the Holocaust felt I was even more responsible to do something because now I have to fill the shoes, the seat, the space that was missing. You say, the space that was missing. So that has to be our attitude, a form of responsibility. And we saw it with the Rebbe himself every time there was a loss. So there's a time for crying. There's a time for crying, but then there's a time to pick yourself up and say, what inspired, what did that person inspire within me? What did they stand for? What is their legacy? And not to do that and indulge is also not appropriate. So you need to have the time where you are crying, you mourn, you grieve, the catharsis, the healing that comes from that, and then comes the moment where we have to rise and say, I'm going to build something in that person's name. I'm going to bring more light into this world because of that dark moment. Now, it's not easy because you'll say, how do you regulate emotions? Well, God created the emotions and God is also telling us we can do it. That means that he knows that if you listen, and sometimes you have to surrender. Sometimes you even have to surrender your guilt and your pain. Because guilt could end up being, as the Alter Rebbe says about Atzvos, similar, could just be a self-defeating experience coming from the Eight Sahara because it's telling you, it demoralizes you and it doesn't motivate you. What do you. What's the result? It's not coming from a good place. If it's a sadness that motivates you, it's one thing. The guilt is often not motivating. If it's not motivating, then it's part of the problem, not part of the solution. So the answer is, 
we have to surrender, we have to accept. This is our mission. I remain, and I will build something, and I will honor the person who was taken by this, this uh, accursed coronavirus. Honor that soul by doing more, by teaching my children, by teaching others, building something in the name of the person. Start something immediately. The Rebbe was always very adamant. Do something within the seven days or the 30 days. Now, obviously it's limited to be able to speak on camera to you without being there in the presence, holding your hand. It's very hard to convey the feeling. But I'm doing the best I can with the circumstances that we have. And that is to remember that we're on a mission. God gave us a mission. There's a gift. And every morning you're going to say, Moedani. The soul you've given me is pure. It's not just a nice idea. Pure means there's a purity within you that's beating within you, and you have a mission to bring that pure neshama into this toxic world. And each of us have to apply that and translate that into our own terms. That works for you, because all this has to be customized case by case. That's how we deal with the guilt. We don't allow ourselves to dwell on it. We allow us to focus on the positive, on serving, on doing things that change. Be proactive. Influence. Don't be influenced. Because it's very easy to lie there and, fold and, and, and just lick our wounds and wallow in our own misery, God forbid. That's the last thing you want to do. As I said, grieve, grieve. There's healthy grieving. But then there's unhealthy grieving. And the key is motivation to build a better world, to build a better home, to build a better life, a better community. Okay. Next question. Wow. Marriage problems during this time. Hi, Rabbi. I have a question regarding my marriage during this time. We have been struggling for a few years and often on the brink of divorce. We both haven't been good to each other, yet my husband has done some unforgivable things, such as some instances of physical abuse, some sober and some under the influence of alcohol. My therapist advised me that though there is not much we can do right now, I shouldn't ignore the serious matters. And if I don't deal with them drastically, they will happen again and only worse. I'm struggling with knowing if I am doing the right thing. Should I ignore, should I ignore what, was hap- what has happened in the past for the time being because of what we're going through? Or should I keep bringing it up th- th- though we are not seeing eye to eye on the matters? Well, there's a few questions I would want to ask, but I will just address different scenarios. Are there children at home? That is a factor. Not the only factor. Because how is that playing out with the children? But regardless, let's assume there's no children, because you, you don't mention that. A coronavirus or any crisis or any upheaval is not an excuse for being abusive. Absolutely not. It's not like, oh, okay, now uh, it's an understood because you're under stress or, or you're in an- anguish or anxiety. A human being doesn't have the right to hurt another person, whether it's verbally, physically, emotionally, or any other way, psychologically. I can't emphasize this enough if this is not a time to rise up and to be a better more beautiful person I don't know what will it take what will it take and I say this to your husband and to you and to anyone listening to this 
Now, I know some people are so consumed in their own unhealthy, toxic lives, narcissism and so on, they just can't see anything beyond them. I have to believe that there's always a spark alive. And hopefully a time like this, maybe. So what I would suggest is the following. No, it's not, it's not forgivable. It's absolutely unacceptable, any form of abuse. Now and any time. Whether you're going to go now through a divorce, I don't know if technically that's going to work exactly right now. But to say in no uncertain terms, and to call helplines, and there are helplines, and I wish I put it together, I'll, I'll have to get it for next week. But it's easy to find online. I've, I, read, I read about it, I heard about it. Domestic violence or any type of abuse in these times, there are helplines that can help. You say, what about the social distancing? They have their ways. It's not acceptable. Now, the way you communicate it, I would be in a calm way. I wouldn't get do through tantrums or angry. But something's a line you cannot cross. If your husband's a person that may be capable of hearing, that would be the hope. And maybe something can be uh, sparked. If a person's not capable of hearing, I would definitely recommend the hotlines and maybe finding a way to quarantine yourself from your husband if it's possible. Because I don't know the details, it's hard for me to advise upon this. I also would want to know what your husband has to say. I'm sure he has his excuses or explanations. I'm not necessarily buying into his story, but your story may not be the complete story. And then of their children, what about the children? You're going to allow, he or you're going to allow this fighting and bickering or worse than that abuse affect the children? This is a time where we need strength, where we need role modeling, where we need light. Now, I know some people may be listening to this. Maybe the people listening to this don't need to hear this. The people that are not listening should hear this. But I still say it for the record. It's out there now. This is a time to become the best. Literally the best. And I mean, again, if not now, when? What are you waiting for? And God's giving you life and health. Look, there are people that are not given that, unfortunately. What are you doing with it? Squandering it? Due to, I'm not going to call it petty, due to your own selfish behavior or way of seeing things, you, or you see it right. You know what? Even if you're 100% right, maybe now's the time of compromise, the time to just step back. Let's all be greater people. A little bitter. Humility. That goes a long way. And also brings healing. Okay. And more can be said on this, but again, reach out to someone. Do not just take this. Reach out and find help. a whole bunch about, about loneliness and being at home, which we spoke about. So I'll just read a few. And again, those that I can't cover, I will cover next week. Adjusting with being at home. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, number one, I'm, really, I'm a really big fan. I really enjoy listening to your episodes. Thank you for all the great work and dedication you have. I was studying in Eretz Yisrael, this year in seminary in Israel, and came home unexpectedly early because of the coronavirus. I've been home for a few weeks now, and I've still still been having a hard time adjusting and acclimating back to living at home. It has been difficult to come from the amazing seminary environment of great learning and growth, where I really gained much of my knowledge of Hasidus learning as well as gaining maturity and independence. 
Being at home now, I struggle to continue all the things I took on in seminary. And while I have been doing my best, it's been hard to hear comments from my parents about the new things I've taken on. I know they try to be supportive of the new changes I've made in my life. But when I'm still davening and my mother needs to help with my siblings, my parents get frustrated at me. How do, I, how do I maintain a good balance of continuing to grow in my Yiddishkeit and Chassidishkeit and also be available for my family when they need it? And also, how can I not get discouraged when I get degrading comments about my growth in Yiddishkeit and Chassidishkeit? Another side question, how can I help myself from judging my family when they don't do certain things that I believe everyone should be doing, like davening mincha or even shachri, saying chitas, etc. I am more of a black and white person and I have had a hard time, and I have a hard time when people don't do what they're supposed to. It makes me feel bad that I'm judging them, but I just don't know what to do. Thank you. Let me respond to this in, a, in general terms. It's an issue that is unfortunately also not just in times of crisis. When, very often, when children go to yeshiva, boy or girl, and they come back, they become more observant, more committed, more, more passionate. And it offends their parents because they tell their parents, you're not kosher enough, you're not doing this enough, Pesach especially. I've dealt with many situations like this. Here's a key, key principle. Yiddishkeit and religion and Torah, as the Rambam says, the Torah was not given only to do shalom, which means likuva, means only to do, bring peace. If you see Yiddishkeit and Frumkeit and religious observance tearing people apart, you have to wonder what's going on. Is it the Torah in Yiddishkeit or is it the way you're adamant about it? If you've become more committed, then you should be a more refined person, a more sensitive person, a more empathetic person, a more giving and kind person. If you come home, and I'm not being judgmental here at all, and instead of your parents seeing, instead of you helping more due to the challenges that people are facing with siblings and Yom Tif and so on, you're busy davening and saying chitas, they wonder, is this from Kair or is it your own selfish religion? So Yiddishkeit can also take on the shape, it's about me, this is what I want to do. Some people do it in the secular ways and some people do it with religious ways. So I would say first and foremost, not to take away your intentions, I'm sure they're coming from a beautiful place and you've grown greatly. But the first Evan Abaychen, the first litmus test is when, to, when you do Yiddishkeit, when it's not convenient for you. So if you asked me, if your mother needs you in the kitchen, and especially over Yontif or coming now, Shabbos, the, the, the days after Yontif, with help with the children, I would say that's priority one. And then find time to say the chitas, the mincha, the davening, the shachas, mincha, mairev. I don't see any reason why it should be a contradiction, but priority number one is what's necessary to keep a beautiful home. I assure you, your parents and your siblings would see that you'll become more helpful, more loving, more giving. They will be inspired and not be that critical. But imagine, put yourself in their shoes. They see only you're focusing on yourself and your religious commitments. Beautiful. It can make one pause and wonder, where is that coming from? So I would say priority number one is zichuch, be a more refined human being. Tell you the mitzvah, more shalom, more love. And then people say, where's that love coming from? Oh, it's coming from your Torah, it's coming from your Yiddishkeit, it's coming from what you learned in the seminary, what you learned in the chassidus. I love that, because I see that you're behaving like that, I want to be like that. As opposed to someone who's just behaving religiously, very frum, and just saying, why don't you respect my frumkeit?
The Sifri says on the Pasuk, V'haftas Hashem Alekecha. So we all teach, it means simply the mitzvah of loving God, Avis Hashem. You shall love God, with all your heart, with all your spirit, with all your all, all your might. But the Sifri says, V'ahafta, can also be read this way. That should make others, you make, pardon, tongue twisted. You should make God beloved in other people's eyes. Not just you love God. That when they see you and you behave, they say, that's coming, that's a godly person. They love God. To make God beloved in other people's lives. That is a tremendous mitzvah. Of course, includes Kiddush Hashem. Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name. When you behave in a beautiful way, in a giving way. And people even see that you may over, over even, you know what, you may even overlook something you want to do for your own personal spiritual growth for another person. Welcoming guests is even greater than welcoming God. Why? Because that's also what God wants. You're welcoming other people, like the Burden Hayyem Yem from the Baal Shem Tev, from different places, from the Alter Rebbe, that if you love God, you also love what God loves, and that's His people. Someone that loves God but does not love other people, you have to wonder what kind of love for God that is. Now, I didn't mean to be critical, I just wanted to make that point. And that, I think, is the way to really manage and deal with this. You have plenty of time in the day, sadly or not sadly, that's what the, stays, the case is now. You'll have plenty of time for learning and davening and so on where the children go to sleep at night. If you really want to, you can create a schedule that will work. That's my response to that. Okay. Well, my friends, there's much more to cover, and time is limited. And I want to give to do justice. I don't want to do quick, quick back and forth. A lot of questions about Pesach. I feel like, you know, if I don't deal with it now, who's going to talk about Pesach next week? Well, you know what? We'll see what we have to do. What I want to just conclude is, we're going into the month of Ani Hashem Refecha, the way of that God should make sure that it does not place any illness, even a minor illness, even small symptoms, mild symptoms on any one of us. We should do our part to stand strong, stronger than ever, knowing that this is an assignment, it's a test, knowing that this is a concealment, but there's deeper light and deeper strength that will come through this. And it's up to us to act. We must be proactive. We must influence. We must initiate in every possible way in helping, in volunteering, in spreading chassidus online in every, pos- in every way we can reaching out to others, connecting, loving, looking deeper in yourself. We're also in the sphere of Se'emer. Same Emer. These days is also introspection. And we say that as we cleanse and as we refine our particular midday, each one of us have our seven times seven emotions, 49 particular emotional attributes. We then say in the Hiratzen, may God purify the toxins and remove tuma, toxic energy from this world. So internal refinement is the, is the call of the time now in the month, in the starting already the second night of Pesach, but month of years, the Rebbe emphasizes the entire month is Omer. So as many of you know, I have the book called Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer. This year takes on whole new meaning as we are more introspective, building our inner lives. So you can check it out. Besides the book, we have a free app, My Omer, 
Get the app. People really loving it. We updated it, upgraded it. With a lot of new features this year. You can also get a daily email. And this is in addition to the spiritual antidote I mentioned and other resources that we're making available in these trying times. This is a time to reinforce, to bolster, to build our inner resources. The stronger you are within, the more you'll be able to deal with that which is without us, outside of us. Shem should bless everybody. The last days of Nisan Shataka be Nisi, Nisi, miracles upon miracles, double miracles, triple miracles, in healing and in every possible way. Should be That this month of Nisan will have the Gula Mitis Vashlema, which will heal everything. And march into the month of year, that we shouldn't have any negative thing to deal with. And despite all the challenges out there, march into it with the Gula, complete healing. Rufu is not just the absence of illness, it's also a powerful force of its own where you're completely aligned with the way Hashem, God, wants you to be. Stay well. Be well. God bless you all. We have end of Chedesh Nisan, every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m., my life is supplied. Thank you very much. Zayt Gesund. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.